Good morning, fellow sanctuarians, and I desperately hope new friends. Before we dive into this familiar yet somehow still shocking text together, I want to take a couple of minutes and introduce myself. My name is Allie Hawkins, and I moved here from Tulsa, no, not from Tulsa, to Tulsa. This is where we're at. We're in Tulsa. I moved from California to Tulsa with my husband, Brian Ashmore, and our son, Venture, and our cat, Gabby. Um, She can't jump. Her hind legs were injured when she was um, a kitten, and so that's pretty cool to have a cat who can't jump on the counter. We moved here three whole weeks ago. So if you come up after service and we're looking a little wild-eyed and frazzled, it is because we are still living surrounded by boxes. We do not know what drawers the forks are in. So that's why it's not you, it's us. A month or so ago, way back in my California days, I was watching the live stream of Sanctuary Service, which I've done pretty much every Sunday for the past three years because even though it was not possible for me to be here with you in person, I have considered this my church home for a really long time. But anyway, I was watching the service, and um, Father Paul said something deeply troubling, and it's something that leads me to, I want to say, allow you a chance to adjust your expectations. He reminded everyone that since Father, now Bishop, Chris Green, had moved with his family to Tennessee to plant another church in our diocese. Father Paul was now in need of someone to shoulder some of the teaching and pastoral load that Bishop Chris had been helping to carry here at Sanctuary. And to that end, he said, Deacon Allie Hawkins will be here soon. Please make her welcome, blah, 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 blah. And now, now look, I do not want to quibble with our beloved rector, I do not want to undermine his authority in any way whatsoever. I stand for Father Paul. (laughs) But I also don't want you to labor under an impression that can only lead to disappointment. I, Deacon Allie Hawkins, am in no way, shape, or form a qualified substitute for the right Reverend Bishop Dr. Chris Green who preached his first sermon at nine years old and has gotten significantly better since then with many hundreds of hours of practice. Friends, I am a writer. I stare into space for a living. So if you saw me get up here and remembered what Father Paul said a few weeks ago and thought to yourself, whoo boy, we are gonna see some preaching today. Instead of adjusting your expectations, let me make you and me both this promise. Regardless of what I say in the next few minutes, we're going to end up at the table together. We've heard the gospel, and soon we'll bring our gifts to the altar, and then we'll receive and eat the bread of heaven and drink the cup of salvation. At the table, there will be grace enough to make us one body, to strengthen us for love and service in the spirit. Regardless of what I get right or wrong, 
we will join together in the heavenly worship that's always true and always happening even when we're not paying attention. So I'm not too worried this morning about being Bishop Chris Green and friends, I most assuredly am not Bishop Chris Green. I'm not too worried because I trust that Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. I trust that Bishop Chris and Bishop Ed and Father Paul and me and all of you, my sisters and brothers and all the saints together in heaven are going to keep the feast. So with all that said, I want to turn our attention to today's Old Testament text, which is one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. It's the story from Exodus 3 of Moses' first encounter with the God of the enslaved Hebrews. When this God calls Moses to the seemingly impossible task of liberating his people from slavery in Egypt. This God somehow makes himself known to Moses through a bush that's on fire, but that does not burn up. It's burning, but not turning to ash, as any sane person has every right to expect. And Moses, understandably, decides to get a closer look. I must turn aside and look at this great sight, he says to himself, and see why the bush is not burned up. Moses knows, as well as you do, that burning bushes burn up. That's the nature of things. It's literally how fire works. It burns as long as there is fuel to feed it. And the burning converts fuel into heat and carbon dust. But this bush doesn't burn up. And that's something worth taking a look at. As Moses draws near to the burning but not burning up bush, a voice introduces itself as the God of Moses' distant ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the voice reveals a plan to rescue those patriarchs' descendants and lead them all back to the land that God promised to Abraham long ago. Moses, again, understandably, has questions, <laughs> most of which we don't have time to explore because we need to make it back around to our gospel text this morning. But I want to take note of just one. What's your name, Moses asks. What should I call you? Who should I say sent me to do this completely doable task of liberating slaves from a military and economic superpower? I am who I am, the voice in the burning but not burning up bush says. There is so much richness we could unpack from these five little words, I am who I am. So many ideas about being itself, about what it even means to exist. So many connections we could make between God's self-definition here and Jesus's I am statements in the Gospel of John. But rather than unpacking all that this morning, 
I want us to stop and observe and appreciate that Moses asks God to define God's self. You tell me who you are, he says. And look, the text doesn't explicitly spell this out, but I have to think that the very fact of the burning but not burning up bush nudges Moses in this very wise direction. I can easily imagine Moses saying to himself, I think I know what a God is, but on the other hand, I thought I knew what fire is, and that turned out to be wrong, so I better go ahead and ask. The burning but not burning up bush is a clue that the God who is speaking with Moses may not operate according to the nature of things. This God may not operate according to what everyone knows to be true and according to what any sane person has every right to expect from a God. This brings us back to our reading from Matthew's Gospel, which is actually the back half of last week's text. In last Sunday's reading, if you'll remember, Jesus asks his disciples what they believe about him. Who do you say that I am? He asks. And Peter declares, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, ding, 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 that is exactly right, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So on the heels of that massive affirmation and a promise from this Messiah that Peter will be the rock upon whom he will build his church, we pick up our text from this morning. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the, on the third day be raised. I want to suggest to you that this right here is Jesus burning but not burning up. And like Moses, we can draw near and take a closer look. Similar to the way fire works by converting fuel into heat and carbon dust, Messiah's kick butt. Fire burns, Messiah's kick butt. It's the nature of things. As any sane person has every right to expect, when God's people are persecuted and oppressed, they repent of their sins, and then God sends a Messiah to kick the butts of their oppressors. That's literally how messiahs work. So when Peter hears Jesus talking about first having to suffer and then needing to be executed, it's a bit like seeing a bush on fire that isn't turning to ash. It don't make a lick of sense. That's not how messiahs work. But instead of taking a page from Moses' playbook, Wondering why the bush does not burn up and drawing closer to investigate, Peter decides to have a stern chat with the bush. I, I mean the Messiah. Peter pulls him aside and says, look, Lord, it 
seems like you might be a little confused. See, the way it works is you're supposed to kick butt. The Romans have had us, God's chosen people, under their jackbooted heel for the better part of a century. And before that, it was the Greeks. And before that, it was the Persians. And don't even get me started on the Babylonians. You just now said that your Father in heaven revealed to me that you're the Messiah. And if that's really true, everyone knows what happens next. All this nonsense about suffering and death needs to stop so the messianic butt-kicking can commence. And what does the burning bush, I mean Jesus, say? Get behind me, Satan. Basically, Jesus says the very last thing you want to hear from someone whose job you think it is to kick the tail of anyone who gets in his way. Because that's the implication here. Not that Peter is the devil or that he's possessed by a demon or under demonic influence or anything like that. Jesus isn't talking about the devil at all. Jesus is saying that Peter doesn't get to define him. Furthermore, that Peter's efforts to define him run completely contrary to God's purpose in the Messiah. Peter is a stumbling block to God's messianic intentions in Jesus. He is in the way instead of following the way. Some of you, I'm sure, have read Bishop Chris's collection of Lenten sermons that he released this past spring. It's called Being Transfigured. And in that book, Bishop makes this exact point. He writes, Jesus does not name Peter Satan. He does not level an accusation at him. That would be to do the devil's work for him. And Jesus never does that. No, Jesus names for Peter what is happening in and through him so he can be free of it. And he reminds Peter of his place as a disciple. Get behind me. By turning away, Jesus not only prefigures the turn that needs to be made, he actually accomplishes it. Yes, God turns his back on us, but never to put us in our place, only ever to help us find it. Follow me, Jesus says. Being my disciple means following the me that I and the Father reveal to you, not the me you want me to be, not the Messiah you think you want, Follow me, and I will show you how to burn without burning up. If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Friends, there is good news for any of us who were raised with a definition of God that threaten to burn us up and kick our butts.
That is not the God who reveals himself in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Yes, there is fire, but it's not hellfire and brimstone and gnashing of teeth. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit, the life and the love of God that invites us to draw closer, that makes denying our desire to kick butt and taking up our cross instead feel like a really good idea. And not just a really great idea, but the secret to life itself. Those who want to save their life will lose it, Jesus says. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. When we deny ourselves by refusing to satisfy the part of us that, like Peter, desperately wants the Messiah to kick butt, we find the self who can draw close to the fire of God and not burn up. We find our place as Jesus' disciples, following behind the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Amen.